1: Hey everyone, on this episode of Drinks with Binks, I'm so fortunate to be able to welcome in sports broadcaster, cultural icon, Jamel Hill. She's writing for The Atlantic now. She's hosting her own podcast, Jamel Hill is Unbothered, and just recently added Way Down in the Hole, a podcast about The Wire that is with The Ringer. Now, you know her from her days at ESPN. Well, we take a deep dive on her time with the worldwide leader, why The Six with Michael Smith- was doomed from the start and what it was like when President Trump went after her publicly. Well, she tells us some tips on how to deal with the trolls and a whole lot more as we sip on some Tito's on the rocks. Welcome on in to Drinks with Binks, I'm Julie Stewart Binks, we are working from home slash wasted from home, this is week five of us doing this show from our homes, we know that you're watching this from your homes because we're all staying home to stay safe in a very unprecedented, weird time, but we need to save lives, we need to do what's right, and that's what we're doing, we're still drinking, we're still banking, and we are very excited to welcome in uh, an esteemed guest, I've wanted her on the show forever, and now we're finally able to make it happen, we have got Jamel Hill, writer for The Atlantic. You know, we're from ESPN. Jamel Hill is on Bothered Podcast. She does literally everything. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: I, when you said esteemed, I had to turn around. Like, is she, is she talking about me? <laughs> I don't know about it. Who else esteemed. is here? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'm like, is there someone else? Is there another Jamel? I don't know about it. I'm really happy to be here. Love to be on any television um, or broadcast that involves drinking and talking that's literally my two favorite things
1: isn't it great i mean it's very nice that my last name rhymes with it because now i can ride that one all the way to aa and then hopefully get workers comp when i don't have a liver anymore so it, ah, it, so you it, it all works out, out. You, yeah this is
2: long range plan okay this is, I love the, long, the, this long is game. the
1: money plans for long term um and speaking of the drinking tell us what you have chosen today for us to drink
2: um, well, because anybody who uh, is married or especially if you're recently married, you understand this, you get lots of trinkets and things, right? So this class actually says "Misses" on it, right? Cause I got married in November. Cause you get things. Congratulations. You get that, thank you. But you get so much Mr. Mrs. stuff. So many fiance stuff, so yeah. many wifey stuff that you just like, I'm using all this. Like it's just, it's just happening. So <laughs> I got a little Tito's on the rocks. I did myself the favor of pouring a double because I'm like, I need to. I need to make this last, because I don't know if I'm allowed to get up and make another drink, but that's in another
1: room. So I don't know. Oh, yeah. You can do whatever you want on the show. You can. <laughs> all right. Well, cheers. Thank you so much for being here on the show. I'm also, I am I did something new today. I put a big, cool ice cube in there. That's new for Ooh. me. I'm not usually cool, the nice. cool kids. Okay. All right. Is that just
2: like the one big block cube? Ooh,
1: yeah. And man, this <laughs> is, pretty... this is have some vodka on the rocks. To get things going here today. Needed that. Um, also, I forgot to ask you: What are we toasting to today? What is something that you would like to cheers to?
2: Today, we're toasting to the fact that I actually had less than five Zoom calls. I'm so excited about this. This is my first non-five Zoom call day in about I don't know a week. So today, wow. I've only had one Zoom call, and that's all that's on the agenda.
1: Okay. Well, that's Jeez. that is huge. That is cheers huge. That. cheers no zoom calls but I still was able to rope you into some sort of similar type of zoom call <laughs> uh. this is a zoom this doesn't count yeah well zoom fatigue is real you know and you gotta you can't can't agree to every zoom call right like or with your friends you're like I'm not able to do trivia every night so gotta ask you you're at home tell me what your setup's like what's what's like a, a regular day in the life
2: well um I am I feel like I am like my, my schedule, like I'm triple as busy as I think I normally would be, which is, it sounds like a complaint, but I don't mean to make it sound that way because I know there's a lot of people who are out of work who um, don't get to do some of the cool things that I do that I actually classify as work, but I realize everybody else may not look at it that way. But generally speaking, I'm usually up around 730-ish, um, mostly because my husband is a, a early riser. I married one of those.
1: <laughs> and, uh, too bad. Yeah, no. <laughs> I
2: um, I, though uh, on Sundays I just refuse, and then it's just like 9 30 and deal with it. But, um, so yeah, I'm usually up pretty early. Um, showering before noon is optional as far as I'm concerned, and like as long as it gets co- accomplished at some point in the right. day, I feel like that's pretty much good enough. I had a podcast um, interview with John legend yesterday and I told him, I, yeah, I told him I showered before noon, (laughs) just for him. I showered actually before 10 AM. So he got, he got literally the best of me.
1: (laughs) That is awesome. That is so cool. You interviewed John legend. Like what was that like?
0: It was great.
2: Like John, um, he and I, we have sort of known each other through social media. You know how now you have those relationships now, um, especially sometimes with celebrities. He is a big Ohio State fan. I went to Michigan State. So, there was a time where we had a little bit of a rivalry where we would beat them at least once every 20 years and now they just kick the shit out of us all the time. Um, but we uh we he's a big sports fan, so our relationship kind of started that way and we've been around each other in social situations and uh everything is you know we've always had like a good rapport and um yeah he agreed to do my podcast and we talked about uh, him being at home with the kids um you know uh how him and Chrissy uh how what what their lives are like uh, him and his wife Chrissy Teigen what their lives are like um you know as a couple because it's it's kind of different I, i've heard from my single friends about what it's like to be under covid-19 but it's different when you're married or in a relationship because you have to you have to resolve whatever, yeah. That's not, you know what I'm saying? That's not to say you let it linger anyway, but if there's any issues that you need to put that fire out as quickly as possible, because you're trapped in the house together. And so, um, so yeah, we were talking about that and some of the new projects that he has coming up, coming up. Um, and, and he, I was very happy because I got John legend cause you know how he comes off. He's so smooth, mm-hmm. suave, um, Mr. Nice Guy, Sexiest Man Alive, and I was so excited that I got him to say pussy-ass bitch. I was so
1: excited
2: about this. <laughs> How did that you get him that. to say that? Well, his wife said it first, um, because okay. that's what she called the president <laughs> on a tweet. And so I, I play this game with my guests. I give them two options, this or that, and she clapped back at him um, on Twitter before her own husband, and she clapped back at the president, so I asked him which one was better, and he said, oh, by far, pussy-ass bitch, and I was like, oh my <laughs> God, I got John Legend to say pussy-ass bitch.
1: That is, is awesome. One, that's got to be pretty one. surreal when you're just hanging, talking to John Legend, and you start to think, hey, my life's going pretty well right now.
2: Not, not That's not a bad quarantine assignment. Yeah. Have, but just... In general, because um, I traded in, you know, I was at ESPN, I had like one job and I traded in that one job for 25 jobs. And so, um, you know, yesterday I taped not just that podcast, I also taped an episode of my new podcast that's out now that I have with Van Lathan that we're co-hosting together, Way Down in the Hole, which is a rewatch pod where we are uh, watching every single episode of The Wire, breaking it down um in a limited series podcast so I had to take that like a couple hours had about I had two zoom calls um two other projects I'm working on I had a regular conference calls because the regular conference call is like out now so when you get one of those it's like ooh, yeah I picked up a rotary phone yeah. right because <laughs> everybody's like zoom or google hangout or, yes you know it's always something video wise and Yeah. I mean, I, and then I also am um, completing my memoir. I'm writing a book and that book is, yeah, the book is due May 15th. And so um, I spend a lot, I spend every day writing for minimum two hours. It's usually much longer than that. Um, But you know, I'm some, I'm one of those writers, like I can't write to just complete silence. So one of the shows I got in on, it just kind of dropped after like the first season was Grey's Anatomy. So I'm mm-hmm. totally rewatching Grey's Anatomy right now or watching. Wow. Grey's Anatomy. I mean, how do yeah, you fit
1: so all of this in, in a day is exhausting to me listening to your schedule. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and then
2: at some point, I guess I got to be somebody's wife. So that, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, I don't you
1: know, you'll do that later, but uh, on <laughs> just quickly um, before we go to break on, on your memoir, was that something that you'd planned to be doing right now? Or was it sort of like, Oh, we're in quarantine. Maybe I, I'll I'll do this.
2: No, I signed a book deal last year and so the plan was always this book was due May twenty twenty, and is gonna come out in twenty twenty one at some point. So this was gonna be whether we were quarantined, not quarantined, I would have been spending four to six hours in the office every day writing.
1: And is it odd to say memoir when you're so young?
2: Yes. Yeah. And it was, I am writing the book. I absolutely never wanted to write. I didn't want to write about myself. I, I always thought about writing a book, but I always thought about writing a fiction novel. And if forced to, and by forced to, I mean, if someone else had a really compelling story, like an athlete or something, and I you know, wrote their book or we did it in collaboration, then that would have been something I could have seen myself doing. But I did not want to write about myself. I did not want to write a memoir and but the market, I'll be honest, the market decided otherwise, and that's kind of why I'm doing it. But Same. it's been it's been good because it's been I've been able to you know relive and think about some some things that I've been through in my life, and and you know it's just an opportunity uh, to tell. Um, tell my story and I, I know people will be surprised by a lot of things in this book so I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's been a good process.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure you, it's very cathartic and you learn a lot about yourself and um, interesting to go down memory lane in so many of those different stories but we have a lot more stories that we want to get to with Jamel Hill. Guys, don't go anywhere. We are having some Tito's on the rocks with Jamel on drinks with thanks. back into drinks with banks with jamel hill we are drinking on some tito's on the rocks we we're just discussing jamel's memoir doing the uh the wire rewatchables and all the different things with her podcasts jamel hill's unbothered with john legend and another thing you're rewatching Grey's anatomy but The whole world is watching The Last Dance. And I found some of your tweets on Sunday funny about your husband in, like, full Michael Jordan gear. And it really was every single person in the world, like, had a photo of them with, like, MJ or in a Jordan jersey. And it was like, okay, this is the time to roll it all out.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it, was—I shouldn't have been surprised because he is a huge Jordan fan. But in a way, it's a little disappointing because we're both from Detroit right? And probably, I don't think our animosity toward Jordan is as bad as Cleveland, because we did actually win championships, you know, the Pistons. Bad Boys won back-to-back titles, and for a long time, we were Jordan's nemesis because, you know, we beat him up and made him tougher and stronger, and we actually helped him become a champion. It's a little known fact. (laughs) We we groomed Michael Jordan to becoming a champion. I love
1: that spin Um, zone, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, But no, he... So the relationship with us, we don't hate him as bad as maybe Cleveland fans do, but there's, you know, a little bit of a begrudging respect there. Just be, you know, because after our run was over, it was all about the Bulls for, you know, essentially the next decade plus. And so I, I often mess with him, like I do not understand why you're this big of a Michael <laughs> Jordan fan, given what our our roots are. But yeah, I, I watched it. I thought it was a great documentary. I moved really fast. And Mm -hmm. for as much as I thought I knew about Jordan, you know, I was eight years old when he uh, left North Carolina. Um, And so because of that, you know, sort of that early, early Jordan, I'm not as familiar with as I am sort of the late 80s on Jordan, if you will. So um, I learned a lot of stuff. I mean, like everybody else, I was absolutely flabbergasted about, how underpaid Scottie was. Yeah. But, but it makes sense. I mean, the NBA that we know it today with the salary caps, um, you know, and, and with the explosion in television money, it just wasn't as financially robust as a league then as it is now. And look, until Jordan took those one year deals, you know, worth about 30 million those last couple of years that he was with the Bulls, he was also underpaid for a superstar right. of his caliber. I yeah. mean, we forget, my, my, uh, Magic Johnson took like a 20-year contract with the Lakers for a million dollars a year. That was considered a lot of money. And uh, now, you know, it's like you have eight players. I looked at um, the NBA salaries for the nineteen twenty season, and you have eight players making over $30 million. Yeah. So things have changed a lot. But it was, it was good. I, I think it was... Um, you know, great mostly because, I don't know, I think this is probably the first time since maybe the finale of Game of Thrones that everybody in America has been watching something at the same time and in real time and commenting and creating conversations. And with all of us ingesting so much um, information about COVID and a lot of people living with anxiety uh, constantly, I thought it was just a welcome break and relief for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, it was great. And as you mentioned, like, everyone's tweeting live tweeting it essentially too that would make no sense but every single person was watching it and i was curious though thinking i agree with you it moves so fast but then when you look at it there's six more episodes and they're sure there's so many different characters on that team to sort of profile as well but is two is six more episodes too much for one season like how do you feel about that
2: you know it's funny when they first announced that they were doing this uh with the Michael Jordan doc um i thought are people really going to watch that much of michael jordan and which it, which today i know sounds pretty preposterous because absent of us living under the umbrella of this pandemic there's always been a very significant appetite for anything J- michael jordan i mean just look at his shoes i mean mm-hmm. he hasn't played in, in a, you know, a decade plus. And yet people still, when his shoes come out, they act like he's still playing and he's still, he's the most relevant retired athlete, um, you know, probably uh, ever, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it's just amazing the currency his name still has. So it, it felt that way, but, you know, I, I mean, limited series of anything is, is kind of in Netflix does it all the time. I mean, Look, I mean, we we as a nation collectively watched what was it eight episodes of Tiger King? I mean, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like I know we could watch eight episodes about Joe Exotic, but not about Michael Jordan. I mean, I, I think we can we could probably take it, but it is for a network like ESPN. This is a a very unique uh, approach. Uh, I was not surprised at all that this was like their highest rated documentary ever, ever. But it doesn't. It, it seems like it should be too much, but I don't think it is because Michael Jordan himself is invested in this. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're seeing him comment on these things. And this is probably the most honest and open he's ever been. And I think because he's been a little bit more closed as a retired person, that this gives it a sense of urgency and that it's special.
1: Right. Yeah. And seeing him sitting there with the cigar and the drink and sort of being being yeah we haven't seen Michael like this and and he wants it to be this huge documentary and I gotta ask you there's especially someone like yourself who worked at ESPN and encountered varying different opinions on this the use of Barack Obama and Bill Clinton in this documentary I read from the filmmakers they said we wanted to have people in there for a reason to be in there. Not just because they're celebrities, not just because they're big names and sort of the idea of Chicago residents and you know Arkansas resident, but by that same token, you're still using two very huge political figures. How do you feel about ESPN using these politicians?
2: I think it made sense within the documentary and that was really all they needed to prove. If it had been a bit more gratuitous, I think people would probably be saying, hey, aren't you the, let's not mix politics and sports. Aren't you the stick to sports kind of, you know, at least you seem to have adopted um, that that mantra or whatever. But I, with Barack Obama, it just made too much sense. And, um, and I love how they founded him as former Chicago resident and not former president yeah. of the United States. I mean, even though we know he's from Hawaii, a big part of his identity is Chicago, and that's kind of where people consider him. Uh, they consider him a Chicago resident, a, a Chicago authority, and so I, I think that um, it, it wasn't something that I felt like was going to get them in, into any kind of trouble. And if I'm if I'm not mistaken, they at the NBA All Star game because that was in Chicago. They also used Barack Obama as well in their introduction, which is like one of the dopest things I'd ever seen, and. You know, I mean, I, I know that the stick to sports crowd is going to forever wail and, and God bless them, wear yourselves out. It's just not realistic. And a lot of it is just really based off their feelings about particular people, because mm-hmm. I um, I have a feeling that if it was somebody that they liked, if it was a politician that maybe they admired, that wasn't these two, they wouldn't complain about um at all about the presence in this in this documentary yeah i mean it would like it would make sense if you were doing a documentary on the rangers when they had a rod you have to have you know george w bush in that because he was a part owner like that's kind of the way it works right people sometimes need to just get over themselves
1: yeah yeah definitely And, and i'm not trying to put you in any weird position here but like free you, oh, you. I like st- being a weird position. Yeah. <laughs> you talking about? <laughs> You're like, I thrive on that.
2: <laughs> I thrive on weird position. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, is the idea of, of, seeing them is, is you, you know, saying, I, I totally agree with them using politics in this capacity, but then when you use politics within sport and you make comments on, on, in that realm, they had a different feeling. Like, does it ever feel as though they may sometimes talk out of both sides of their mouth?
2: Uh, They do. They have to. It's corporate America. That's what happens. And, you know, with the Trump stuff, that wasn't the first time I experienced maybe being—it was definitely the biggest in terms of publicity and and that sort of thing. But, you know, if you notice at ESPN overall, there are varying degrees of punishment. Everybody does not get punished the same. Everybody— does not face the same level of scrutiny. It is part of what you, you don't like it all the time, but it's part of what you sign up for when you go there. They're going to react based off how big a deal does this become? And if my tweets about the president had not become a big deal, they would not have reacted the same way. And even though since I've um, left and since that happened, there has been, um, you know, other... Uh, people at the network who have said things about politics on their Twitter feeds, as I did mine, and I haven't seen the reaction or anything happen to them. I'm not wishing that it did happen to them. Right. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm glad they got away with it. be perfect. yeah, rooting <laughs> them on, like, get away with it when you can. <laughs> I realized that part of the way they reacted to me was just based off the fact that this thing went all the way up to the White House. And so... It's not something that um that makes me mad or or frustrated. Uh, it just um just indicates I think sometimes what a tricky position it can be when you're ESPN and you're unfortunately signing yourself up for the totally impossible task of trying to make everybody happy. You mm-hmm. can't. You know, I get it. Like they've never been uh you know, my last 2 years there was the most I'd seen ESPN ever become polarizing. I think part of the reason it became polarizing is frankly because of the president. It really didn't have anything to do with the programming. It didn't have to do with the personalities, regardless of what I said. But when you have a president that openly attacks sports and athletes, that is going to force a network to take a position by proxy. They may not mean to, but you're going to have to report on it. People are going to have to have opinions on it. And that's just kind of what it is. And, you know, based off everything... That I saw there and experienced myself. ESPN just doesn't have a stomach for that. Like they just don't. They're not built to do that. Um, That's not the lane they want to traffic in. They want to be the cool kids at the table that is well liked by everyone. But this this time that we're in makes that impossible. And so they're going to step on some landmines. It's just bound to happen.
1: Yes. And uh, speaking of stepping on landmines, that happens all the time on Twitter, because as you mentioned, you cannot win in this current world. We're going to have a whole lot more with Jamel drinking and thinking here when we return after the break. Welcome back into Drinks with Binks with Jamel Hill from The Atlantic. Jamel Hill is unbothered. And talking about The Wire on the rewatchables. Remind me again what the name of that is. It is?
2: It's called Way Down in the Hole.
1: Way Down um, in the which, Hole.
2: Yeah, which for people who are Wire fans, they know that's the name of the, the theme song of The Wire. Yes, okay. I believe it. Yeah, it originally was done. I think it was Tom White who did it. So awesome, it okay. It's created every season by a different you know by different people and so way down in the hole that's where we got the name.
1: I apologize for messing that up I mentioned sometimes you have some of these you like <laughs> that's why you don't have drinks on tv um, but that <laughs> no, doesn't that stop that's exactly
2: why you Yeah. <laughs> don't have drinks on TV. Like what
1: did you say? Will just repeat the interview cuz like forgot right. about it. That's what would happen at that's a bar. So good. Um, you had, uh, we were just discussing before just about, um, your former employer ESPN and sort of the, the politics game and whatnot when you were there, when you, you, you've been, you haven't been there for a while now. You have all these other new projects that you mentioned, you're doing all these different things. What's sort of like your lasting feeling on your relationship with ESPN?
2: Um, you know, my, my lasting feeling, I guess would be that, um, we had a great relationship, um, Way more highs than lows. And yeah, some of those lows came at the end, but that's fine because I think it doesn't tarnish all the things I was able to do there, the kind of journalist I felt like I was when I left there. Part of the reason why I am able to have so many jobs is because I learned how to do so many different things at ESPN. So I'm never gonna look at them with any animosity, um, you know, with any anger in particular. In particular, I'm disappointed with some of the things that happened there. And, yeah, I am disappointed in some of the people in terms of how I felt um, that they treated me slash us, us as in, you know, Michael Smith, um, my former co-host, dear friend of mine. And that preceded the whole Trump thing. I'm disappointed in, into how some of that evolved, particularly when it came to um, what happened with us on SportsCenter but I I would never look at ESPN um, negatively or regretfully. I mean, it's the best job I've ever had. It's the longest job I've ever had, you know, to be there 12 years um, says a lot, especially in this business. So Mm
1: -hmm.
2: um, my feelings for it are just, I I guess I know a lot of people don't have good relationships with their exes. (laughs) I get it. Um, I'll say like this, you know, uh, when we reached the point where we were done, we were definitely done. But if I saw ESPN at the, the bar run right night or out at dinner, I would totally go up to them and say hello and ask him how they were doing.
1: Oh, that's good. That's <laughs> nice. That's how you know that it's, you're not harboring any weird feelings for them. And Michael Smith, when he was on our show, you, you referenced him, your co-host from the six, he had uh you know, he had similar feelings. Like it is like a relationship and it is, as you mentioned, kind of, you know, it's, it's not sad how it ended. Cause you, you know, you accomplished so much, but In a way, it felt a little bit weird as a viewer, I would say, how it ended, because you guys were so strong together. In what way do you feel that The Six was misunderstood?
2: Well, it was misunderstood from the beginning, and that misunderstanding um, was perpetuated by some of the people who were in charge of of kind of nurturing and growing our show. I think they saw a lot of the cool things that we did on His and Hers, a lot of the things that went viral, the skits that we did, um, the funny moments that we had, and they love those things. They love the pop culture stuff that we brought to the table and how we were willing to take all these chances on television. But the same things that made us great were kind of the same things that don't really fit sports Center. And it's OK if it doesn't fit, if you're willing to bend and relax to what you think SportsCenter should be so that we can be as great as you need us to be. And they weren't really willing to do that. And it was an awkward fit. From from the start, because we didn't have enough time to work on the show and figure out what the show was. And this is not to make excuses, because at the end of the day, you know, we're pay- getting paid nice money to make something work. And it's a whole lot worse places that you can be from SportsCenter. But it was by far like the worst job I had at ESPN by far, because it is it, the, the brand is the baby of the company. Understood. Understandably, um, it is a legacy brand, important brand incredible talent has sat in the seats of sports center anchors from Stuart scott to rich eisen overman patrick kilbourne rich eisen you name them all everybody knows their names but um it's also they're so protective that there's so many voices there's so many hands that are on the show that it can at times make it impossible to do things and you know, Mike and I were very much coming from an environment where we were used to making every single decision. We were used to not necessarily doing what we wanted, but doing what we wanted to do. And uh, that was what worked for us. I mean, we're very creative. We um, we, we're, we don't think we're like-minded, but we're different. Mm-hmm. And so it made it a challenge to have the kind of mindset we had and exists within the sports center culture. Cause that culture is much different than any other show culture at ESPN. So, um, there was, I knew before our first show that we were in trouble. I knew it. I was like, we in trouble, man. Because How
1: come? What was it?
2: Creatively. We were on different pages all the time. Too many times about what was the best direction for the show. We, Um, Mike and I did not love the fact that we probably did less than five rehearsals before we went to Mm -hmm. air. You know, they took his and hers all the way through December. We were starting the day after Super Bowl. And just so people understand is that by comparison, like Scott Van Pelt got, it felt like almost a year to get his show together. Get Up got more than a year to do that show. Right. So all these other shows, they got an extended period of time to rehearse, figure out personnel, get the production staff right, get all those things right. We got none of that. And there were some key people that we wanted that we didn't get um, because they had in mind who they wanted
0: mm-hmm. and who
2: how they wanted to do things. And that was fine, you know, as long as those people understood what our vision for the show was. But from the beginning, our visions, I mean, we were just off. Like Mike and I had our chemistry, but we didn't always have chemistry with the people who were put in position to make the show succeed. And so from the beginning I had a lot of concerns. It was a lot of red flags and you know I, I don't know if how deep you and Mike got into it but he he would tell you that I said a couple months I said before We started that there were red flags. Mm A couple months in, I told him, I was like, man, at the end of this contract, Mm -hmm. I I don't want anything else to do with SportsCenter. Like, dude, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like, this is, and this is way before all the Trump stuff happened. I was already like, this ain't gonna work. And I thought that Mm -hmm. I would be able to finish out the the contract, you know, which called for us to do the show for three years. And, you know, then just say my peaceful goodbye. But after the Trump Mm -hmm. stuff happened and, then we went through another major show change. Somebody else got put in charge of our show, not the people who brought us in. You know, we were literally like the quarterbacks that had been drafted and then they fired the coach and changed the GM. Mm. Right. And so, you know, and then the new the new people that came in, you know, we have been used to running the spread option and they wanted us to run the wishbone. It was like, right. oh, man, like this is yeah. not going to work. So once that happened, I was just like, I gotta get off this show. And I know people read into me leaving as them kicking them, uh, kicking uh, me off, but that wasn't the case. Like it was in our contract that we had to do SportsCenter for X amount of time, for three years. We were guaranteed to do the six o'clock SportsCenter. Wow. And so they were. All, I was only able to get off that show because I was willing to relax that language in my contract Mm. and go on to work for the undefeated and do other shows that I enjoy doing, frankly, a whole lot more than I did sports.
1: Man, that's, it's, it's too bad that it was sort of set up in that way to essentially fail after having been you guys just innately, you and Michael being so successful with his and hers and, and not being able to get the resources that you guys needed and kind of almost square peg round hole in terms of, the brand of sports center and all this so it's too bad because you never know what could have happened but i would like to ask you more about michael smith but we got to take a quick break we're gonna have a whole lot more with jamel hill on drinks with thanks don't go anywhere guys Welcome back in Drinks with banks. I'm JSB. We got Jamel Hill here. And we have been hearing all of the dirt behind the ESPN and Sports Center. And it's it's nothing new. I mean, you've been very honest with your feelings about working there and not working there anymore. And so has your former co-host, Michael Smith. And before we move on to some other things, I asked Michael on the show when he was on if he would ever want to work with you again. And he had like the best response. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I really to this day one of the best quotes on her show where he said you know all, all these people are asking if Jamel and I will work together again and where were all these mother when we were on the six you guys couldn't get us off that show fast enough and now you want us back together again so I thought that was pretty on point
2: <laughs> and very accurate yeah <laughs> it's right is right. it's, uh if I had a you know a dollar for everybody who's asked me if we're going to work together again, are we going to recreate his and hers? When's Mike going to be on the podcast? Um, I wouldn't need to do anything, but, you know, sit here and eat salted caramel ice cream and not work at all. Yeah. But, but, um, you know, I I think it's something that we, uh, we loved working together. We're still very good friends and it, it was a very special relationship I think there's parts of it that both of us would be hesitant to go back to, that we still have PTSD from, not from working with each other, but if we were to work again at a major network, I think both of us would be like, what? Like, it would be, it would be tough because of what we have been through before. But I do think that there will probably come a time um, where under the right circumstances, where we're able to have that autonomy, creative control that made us great to begin with, if we're able to recreate that part of it, I think it would make it, you know, a lot easier. And um, I don't know that if we'll we'll ever work together in the same capacity that we did his and hers because um, look we're talking about his and hers last sports center. I mean we were together every day for like four and a half years. <laughs> okay, so I don't I- know if we'll ever recreate <laughs> that particular part, but I could definitely see um, uh, situations. Um, where we would work together again. There's no beef between us, and it never was. I was very honest with Mike, even going through the, the, with the controversy, even all the fallout afterwards. And it, whenever I'm asked about is there anything that you regret about what how things happen, I will always regret the fact that he got put in a really bad position because he was left to clean up the mess, and the mess, um, you know, being our show. It's like I got suspended for two weeks, Mike didn't anchor at first, but then he did. And then when I left, he was anchoring by himself for like another month. So every, and it's important for people to remember this when you have a partnership, uh, particularly a television partnership with them, is that every decision you guys make, even if it's in your best interest, it impacts everyone. Mm -hmm. And my decision to leave SportsCenter impacted him. Um, And I felt... Uh, Did I go through periods where I felt guilty about it or bad about it? Of course I did, because I was trying to maybe change the course of my career, but I was changing his at the same time. And he didn't really ask for that. So it was it was tough. And he never held anything against me. We had some long, like deep come to Jesus meetings about (laughs) it um, and, and talked about it. And he never he was always super supportive. And that's why, you know, we remain good friends. We were great friends before we started working together, we're good friends after. And so I think um, that is what I'm most proud of because I definitely know other people in TV who may have spent years together every day. And as soon as that show stopped, never talked to each other again. Yeah,
1: that's and, wild.
2: Yeah, and we're, we're, not, we're not really like no. that. No. So I don't want to disappoint the people by saying this, well, I would say never say, never say never. And there's there have been conversations about um, maybe a, a couple things we might reunite about. So I'll just say that much.
1: <laughs> Great. I mean, your your chemistry is palpable, and everyone loves seeing that relationship. So uh, would be no surprise if we got to see it again. But we're gonna take a quick break, and then I've got to ask you a. Uh, uh, elephant in the room type of question when we come back. I think we all know what that's about. Um, more to come on drinks with pigs with your mouth. What a tease! I'm currently a broadcast journalist.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's a tease in this business, boy. I'm like,
1: whoa, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, what you gonna ask me? <laughs> Welcome back in to Drinks and Things. I'm JSB with Jamel Hill, and we've been getting all the secrets here on the show as we usually do because we like to have booze, and then that leads to like great secrets. Oh, see, now I get it. Now Now we'll get our guests all liquored up and our host liquored up, so then she can't do her job, so then we're both (laughs) at a disadvantage, and it's just a real hoot nanny. But I really wanted to ask you, I've been so curious about this. I follow, I've been following you for years online, and just a quick note my mom is like a massive fan of yours obviously that's like that's how i was able to get jamel's email to,
2: ask her to come me. i remember oh, i remember oh. this shout out to your mom by my way. mom georgie
1: e biggs is my guest yeah. booker too and she when i worked at barstool she was trying to get you to come on my show and i think she was trying to broker that and i was like mom there's no way that like we can make that work right now obviously thank you mom for like helping me out here. Um, and and remember she tweeted at you because you were saying something about the 6 and then my mom was like, "Oh no, that's what Toronto's called, the 6." And you and you I remember you responded. I just saw like you responded to my mom and I was like, "Oh no, what's my mom doing on Twitter right now?" <laughs> Like we've been calling it the six for years, right? Like that is and- true.
2: Drake Drake brought that to, to to the rest of America, and I think it was funny because when we when we would call it that, like so many Canadians would be like, "You stole that from Drake," or "That's ours." I'm like, no. Internally, since the beginning of ESPN in the late '70s, they called it the six. Yeah, that's where it came from.
1: Like it's only been the six since Drake was cool with the raptors like a couple years ago basically um but yeah and then uh you guys became buddies so my mom's off twitter now because she just can't deal with it which i think is quite nice what? And yeah she can't she's just like she would get she got into she doesn't have the the heart that you have jamel you know, she needs to take a couple lessons on learning how to stand up to some of those trolls because she mm-hmm. she was like, I just can't deal with this. Um, she'd go down. She'd go down a slippery slope and it would hurt her mentally. But um, she's often feeling great. So speaking of the Twitter crowd, uh, I I was like waiting to head into this because it's seven o'clock here. We're taping this and where I am. Normally, it gets very loud. I don't know if you can hear anything, but. It's a cheers. Nothing. Okay, now, cheers oh, for healthcare for workers. All the I don't want to get into any care. super intense topics while usually the clanging happens. Anyway, it hasn't, the uh, didn't happen. I wanted to ask you about, you know, something that you're very well known for is when you called Trump a white supremacist and he and his team and everyone acknowledged it. And what was, I'm so curious, what was that moment like when... Like, the, the president of the United States came after you.
2: Well, when he tweeted about me, um, I, I was initially unaware. I was not following the president. Um, and so I didn't know, because during that time, I was still doing SportsCenter, obviously. And because the show's at 7, I didn't wake up until usually about, like, 10, maybe, like, 9, 10, because I didn't have to be in the work till like, noon, 1230-ish, somewhere in there. And so um, I, my phone started blowing up in the morning because I think he tweeted this like overnight. He's a middle of the night tweeter apparently. Mm-hmm, yeah. So I think he did that. Yeah, I think he did it based off his normal routine. And I have a ton of friends who cover news and politics and they were blowing my phone up and they were just like, oh my God, the president is just tweeted about you. And I was like, what? So I looked, I was like, oh, that's cute. All right. And I rolled back over. So, I mean, it wasn't, it's just that I just felt like he's not somebody I take very seriously. I take what he does seriously because he's the president and he has an extraordinary influence over a ton of American lives, including my own. So that part, his responsibilities, I take very seriously, but him as a person, I think he's a joke. So that being said, it didn't really make me feel any kind of way. Hmm. Mostly I thought like, I can't believe you have this much time on your hands that you would actually care about what a sports center anchor has to say about, you know, who you are as a person. All facts, by the way. And then for Sarah Huckabee Sanders to be to be asked about this during the press conference. Again, I have friends that cover politics, friends that cover the White House. And I was at ESPN um, at we were putting together the show. I was in the, the you know, the, the sports center hub where like all the sports center shows put together their show. And my friends are like, yo, you just got asked about in a press conference, blah, 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 blah. blah." And I, I turned to it and they had read, no, I t- went to Twitter um, and they have been, people have been posting the clip everywhere of Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying that I should be fired. And so I was just like, "Oh, that's good to know the white house doesn't think I should have a, have a job. All right. I guess, you know, I, I it was it was hard to to put into words what I was experiencing in real time because so much of it was practicing a little bit of cognitive dissonance. Um I couldn't even open my Twitter. I couldn't even open Twitter on my phone because I had so many mentions that it was just impossible. So, like, I didn't even get to open it. I opened it initially. And then for like a couple of days, I like honestly couldn't. So I couldn't even see. Everything and how people re- were reacting. Like I know that I know I was trending because my friends were like giving me reports about what was going on um, and everything. And it was just, it, I mean, the biggest impact that had on my life was that it changed how I do my life. Uh, in the sense of, I went to a Monday night football game. You know, this is right, like kind of right after I was suspended, I think, or right, right around that time. I um, think it was before. Either way, I went to Monday Night Football. It was Lions and Giants at, at the Met. And uh, ESPN security was like, hey, we really think we need to have somebody with you because ESPN switchboard had blown up and I was getting death threats. People protested, came to Bristol to protest wow. for and against me. It was just a lot going on. And I had like you know, I had to have my voicemail that were disabled because when I picked it up, I mean, it was one, it was filled. And then when I listened to the first like two or three messages, they were all death threats. Wow. And so I was like, you know what, let's just disable this. So, you know, I don't really want to deal with getting any phone calls anyway. So, I mean, people who need to reach me, they know how to reach yeah. me. Like nobody. I didn't even know my work number. So who cares? So it disrupted my life in the sense that made me super aware, a little bit anxious in public because I didn't know when people are like, "Hey, aren't you such and such?" I didn't know if that, "Hey, aren't you such and such?" was coming from a good place or a bad place. I didn't know what was about to happen with every interaction, and so that was a little bit um, unnerving, mm-hmm. um, if you will. But as much as um, you know, it had that impact on you know on my life in terms of changing kind of how I moved and how I do things. Uh, I prefer to look at what was you know the positives of it. There are people who said they drew inspiration from it. People who felt like, um, you know, that it gave me a bigger voice, it gave me a bigger platform. Definitely. Added responsibility. Yeah, added responsibilities in terms of what to do with that platform, which I don't, I don't mind. And it's allowed me to do some of the things that I'm doing now. So for that, it's like, okay, there's a positive benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh yeah, another interesting thing that happened. My mother was so pissed about Sarah, she was more pissed at Sarah Huckabee Sanders than she was Donald Trump. And she she actually called the White House, which I thought was hilarious. Oh, my gosh. And she called the White House.
1: What, what did she say? What happened?
2: I don't know what she expected to happen. I was like, did you expect to get transferred to Donald Trump? Like, were you like, can I get, like, whenever it's like, please state your extension or the person you're trying to call. If you say Trump, does it get you there? I don't know. But she... <laughs> she was so upset that Sarah Huckabee Sanders had called for her baby to be fired. That if I'm telling you, if Sarah Huckabee Sanders winds up missing, my mama did it. Like it's just like, (laughs) she hates this woman because of that. And she is, my mother's a bit of a conspiracy theorist. And whenever, like, um, you know, she was in school at the time, getting her master's, which she, she has now. And if it was something that didn't go right in terms of, you know, her, uh, her loan money or whatever, she'd be like, it's the government. They know I'm your mom. I'll be like, but it ain't got nothing to do mm-hmm. with that. Like she swore the government was watching her because of what I said. So.
1: Wow. That, I mean, honestly, just hearing you talk <laughs> about it, it is so surreal. Uh, I'm sure it's, I, I mean, I'd be melted. I'd be microwave because I'm a baby. If anyone came at me, cause I'm super Canadian and I'm just like, ah, yeah, whatever. But Anyway, it's it's a remarkable story to have a badge in a way, a badge of honor that you, you know, being able to sort of stand up for yourself and your beliefs and how you feel in that regard. Uh, We got to take a quick break, but we got more to ask you when we come back after this. What's up, everybody? It's the Cooligans. Hello,
2: I'm Christian. I'm Alexis. Okay, we are two stand-up comedians, and we host uh, the funniest soccer show you've ever seen. That's
0: right. We love talking about soccer. We're wild. We're silly. We have no idea what we're doing, (laughs) but it's a fun ride. And we're on Fubo every Tuesday and Thursday at 8 p.m. That's right. Fubo Sports Network. Do it.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Drinks With Thinks. I'm with Jamel Hill. I've got my janky headphones on. Apologies. My AirPods died. But what didn't die is my thirst and appetite for this Tito's on the rocks that Jamel has... So kindly decided that we drink today. And I am gonna uh, pour one out for your Twitter mentions because not even the Twitter mentions, but the trolls that you have, that they can like even sense right now, us talking about them, like they've known for weeks, they're just like ready to pounce. How do you deal with Twitter?
2: Uh, well, it's even easier to deal with Twitter now that I'm at ESPN, cause I can curse. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. <laughs> All right, so now I can just call people names and I can resort to all sorts of juvenile behavior that I I wasn't permitted to do before. But one thing I do like going for people to keep in mind is that, like you said, there are a lot of people who are trolls, but there are a lot of people who are like dead ass serious on Twitter too that kind of indicate that there's pockets of ignorant mindsets that are really out there that we really need to take seriously just in the regard of knowing that the reason why there hasn't been more growth and, and progression and race and gender is because there are people out there who are actively working against that. So I just, they're sport to me. I mean, I imagine this is how a deer hunter feels when they go out during deer season. I'm like, I'm here to hunt and kill and you can come up in here talking that if you want to, but... Believe me, all that attention you ordered, I'm going to give all of it right to you. And you're not going to. Do it. you know, like, when you're about to craft
1: a tweet, like, this one's going to scorch the earth right now? Like, this one's going to get people going?
2: Yeah, I'm strategic about it just in the sense of I pick uh, perfect victims for sure. And um, usually, when I do that, it's because I've gotten a lot of that same sentiment. Sentiment. So they're just representative. This is not the first person to probably tweet me something I respond to. This is like the 800th. Mm-hmm. And so I decide, like, okay, now i got to make an example out of somebody <laughs> so that y'all will take me seriously. Um, but, it, yeah, I mean, it's just really, it's just kind of entertainment for me um, sometimes just because a lot of people come in there and they're so bold and brave about what they say. But then, you know, I have over a million Twitter followers, but then when they have like 300,000 people blowing up their Twitter mentions, then they decide that and understand that what they said really wasn't worth it and they probably should have kept it. Right, right. right.
1: Well, you got some thick skin and we got to go to break quickly, but uh, what would you say to those who, who spew vitriol online and are who are jerks?
2: Normally, well, I mean, what I usually say to all of them is like, look, don't let this professionalism that you see or these jobs I have fool you is like, I dare you to say this to to me on the street. Like, if you're really about that life, then say it to me into my face, but I know you're not. So you're better off just whatever thought was in your head, just keeping it to yourself. Oh,
1: man, I am scared of you now, Jamel. I'll, I wasn't, I'm never going to say anything bad to you ever. <laughs> you're, you're fine. I'm so Canadian. I never would say anything bad anyway um, to anyone. But um, on that note, we got to take our final time out on the program. We'll be back with more on Jamel Hill on Drinks with Things. like what you're hearing check out drinks with banks on fubo sports network every friday night at 8 p.m stream it on the fubo tv app roku samsung tv and more oh and don't forget it's byob sorry startup life hey guys we've had an awesome time keeping it real here with jamel hill who has so many different jobs all over the place and who was just awesome to talk to Uh, Jamel, tell us where we can find you next.
2: All right. So uh, you can always check out my stuff in the Atlantic. Jamel Hills and Bother is exclusively on Spotify, meaning it's not on Apple, exclusively on Spotify. But way down in the hole, the rewatch podcast for The Wire, that is available on Apple, Spotify, and also YouTube. So you can check me out in any of those platforms. And I don't have a super cool username, so I'm just Jamel Hill on any. That is
1: perfect. Easy to find her. She is not at The Athletic. She's at the Atlantic, okay? And we are going to just check these Tito's and we're going to have a great night as you are going to have a great night. See us next time on Drinks and Things.